Maybe the first and the last don't need it. Yeah, no. And and pro- yeah, and then not before the throne of God above, I think. Yeah, oh, yeah. <coughs> In fact, I might, I might not do it on this one either, because it will then rather than one two one two. You ready? You ready? You all right? Good morning. You're looking wonderful this morning. Oh, thank you. Let's all stand. This is the day the Lord hath made. Amen. Let's pray. Father, we thank you this morning that you're a God who hears and who answers our prayers. And Father, we just give you praise today for what you've done in our lives and in our hearts. We ask your blessing upon our gathering together this morning. We pray that you will speak to us through your word. And we pray, Lord, this morning that you will be glorified in Jesus' name. Amen. God bless you.
one day when heaven is filled with his praises one day when sin was as black as could be jesus came forth to be born of a virgin dwelt among men my example is he the world became flesh and light shined among us his glory
Reading this morning from Psalm 150. Praise the Lord. Praise God in his sanctuary. Praise him in his mighty firmament. Praise him for his mighty acts. Praise him according to his excellent greatness. Praise him with the sound of the trumpet. Praise him with the lute and harp. Praise him with the timbrel and dance. Praise him with stringed instruments and flutes. Praise him with loud cymbals. Praise him with clashing cymbals. Let everything that has breath praise the Lord. Praise the Lord.
Let's pray. Ah, Hosanna. We do welcome you here today, Lord Jesus. You are the God who saves and has saved us. And so that is why we gather together today to praise the one who saves. And we are grateful, uh, Lord, for your work in our lives. Um, And it is a privilege to be here to fellowship uh, together uh, as well. And Lord, today I'm just mindful of those who are meeting in Abertrader with Steve. Um, I just pray that the fellowship there would be sweet, Lord, that they would feel your presence, that Steve would uh, speak with uh, passion and speak truth, um, Lord, to that place, that they would find refreshment um, in your word. God, so uh, you, Steve, to just be a blessing to them uh, today. Be with him, we pray. And Lord, we pray that you would just continue to be with us as we continue to worship and to praise you and as we prepare our hearts for a, a time of teaching in your word. God, would you be glorified? I pray that you would. And I pray these things in the name of Jesus. Amen. You can be seated. Just a few quick uh, announcements and then we'll, we'll dismiss the kids here. Do encourage you to, uh, to join us after the service today for some tea and some coffee and biscuits in the lobby. If you're new with us, welcome. Um, we're glad to have you with us, and hopefully you saw the signs and they didn't blow down and you made your way here just fine. Um, do you want to encourage you to join us this week for the, uh, the midweek groups, the, uh, the minor prophet studies? We had a few new uh, show up this week, and, and, and that was great to see. So I wanted to encourage you, you're not, you know, too, you haven't missed so much that you can't be there. It's a new minor prophet, a new book each week. Um, and so uh, I encourage you to come anytime. Wednesday, we'll be in Pompernay and Stephen Amber's uh, house. And then Thursday in Ely at uh, John and Julia's house, uh, we'll be doing uh, Zephaniah this week. Uh, so I encourage you to come. If you don't know what the book of Zephaniah is about, come this week and find out. 7.30, Wednesday or uh, Thursday. Um, I just want to take a moment, too, just to thank all of our, our people who come early and help every week, week after week. James is here faithfully. Uh, I, I'm, I'm dragging that poor boy out of his house, and I, I could tell he's just had a long, crazy week, and yet he's here faithfully every day to, to, to set up with us and to serve and lead us in worship. And I just wanted to thank you for that, and Sarah as well, with your family and your busy life coming here from a long way. Uh, I just appreciate that. Thank you for doing that, and for people jumping in back there at the last second, PowerPoint and all those things. And those people we see a lot, too, and, and we know that happens. But I'll tell you, there's someone who's here every single week, sometimes before any of us get here, and it's Charles. And I just want to say, you know, sometimes <laughs> it's those people we forget about. But I tell you, he's like my right-hand guy. Every time I hear, like, oh, Charlie, I can rely on Charlie. He's here. He's, he's, he's doing a lot of heavy lifting for us. And, um, and, and he always has that great smile on his face, too. So uh, we appreciate you, Charles. Thanks for doing that. Um, and, and, and though we have that kind of help and we're appreciative of it, uh, we could always use more, right? Um, with the absence of uh, my son helping with PowerPoint, and uh, there's only a few people that can do that kind of stuff, we thought maybe we should um, uh, let people know that that is a, a legitimate need uh, to help um, operate the slides, the songs that you see, it's, uh, you know, slide from slide. Um, and so if you're interested in learning that, it's not really complicated, honestly, if you can just push a button at the right time. It's, it's about that simple because I can do it. So you don't have to be too bright. Um, but you can um, be part of that. If you want to uh, join us, just let me know. Come and say, hey, I'd like to do that. We're going to do a, probably like a Sunday evening training, something like that. 
really quickly take an hour just to kind of go through this is how it works. You wouldn't be required to be here extremely early on a Sunday either. Um, uh, really, you could come when we're getting ready to start. It's a simple thing to do. But if you'd like to do it, would you come see me? Let me know and say, yeah, I'd like to do that computer thing you mentioned. And then we'll, we'll get you on that, let you know when we're, um, where we're going to proceed with that. But again, thank you for everyone who does pitch in. There's a lot of hands always helping, and we're, uh, we're grateful uh, for that. All right, we're going to do one more song, and uh, then we'll dismiss the kids at this time. Okay.
team. You know, the problem with uh, naming people by name is you forget, you know, you forget to name certain people. So I know there's a lot more that help out. Uh, Rob and Ruth are here every Sunday early to help as well. I think she's out there crawling around with Mike even as we speak. And so uh, you see Rob or Ruth, just encourage them as well. They're faithful to be here early helping. Um, grateful for, for them. Um, well, I'm going to do something different today. Um, now, if our, any of your young adults or our um, youth are in here, uh, some of this is going to sound a little familiar uh, because we uh, went through the book of Philippians uh, this year. And, and as you know, if you take a year to go through something, well, maybe you don't know because I think you guys take like five to go through a book here. Um, <laughs> by the time you get to the end, uh, sometimes you can forget what the whole thing was about, right? What, what was that about? Um, and, and Philippians is one of those for me uh, in that I wanted to go back really for myself to kind of uh, highlight, you know, um, um, Paul was writing that book to communicate uh, something. And while it's true, God's word is so deep that we can dig into one verse and pull out and extract so much that's applicable a lot of times there is an overarching, overriding theme um, uh, or message that is being communicated, uh, at least in a lot of the smaller um, letters. And Philippians is, uh, is one of those. Um, and so what I've done is sort of put together a walkthrough Philippians. We're going to go, uh, obviously not read the whole thing, um, but we're going to read decent chunks and, and do a walkthrough um, so we can sort of highlight 
uh, what the book of Philippians is about and what is the main theme that um, Paul is trying to get across. You can turn in your Bibles to the book of uh, Philippians in the New Testament. As you do, I'm going to share with you uh, uh, something that happened when I was in the States uh, a couple of weeks ago. I was uh, with my parents a, a lot of the time. And uh, one of the evenings, my, my dad um, wanted to barbecue, had my grandmother over as well, my mom's mom. And, um, and so he started up this barbecue and I was sitting over with grandma under the, under the uh, tree. And I look over and the barbecue is literally just up in flames. The whole entire thing is engulfed. Uh, and as I jumped up to go, you know, uh, run over to see what's going on, my, my dad looked and saw that that was happening. So He's opening this thing and he's, he's calling for help in it and he's reaching in with these little tiny tongs this big. They're not even barbecue ones that are usually that long. They're like this big and he's, he's grabbing out hot dogs and he's chucking them to me and I'm back here with the plate trying to uh, catch them uh, here. So obviously the, the barbecue was uh, done. It needed to be replaced. He'd had it propped up on bricks. I mean, this thing was a dead dog. It needed to go away. And I, uh, Father's Day was coming up and so I went... Here's what we can do. So I started texting all my brothers. Here's what we got to get dad, a barbecue. Here's what we do. Are you all in? Are you all in? So um, as my dad left, I started sharing this plot with my mom and my grandmother. I said, this is what I've done. I've texted all the boys. They're all in. We're going to do the new barbecue. And my grandmother's sitting there. Usually she's just kind of quiet and kind of looks at things happening. She goes, count me in. <laughs> you know, she's like, I'm all in. And so here, here goes the plan. Uh, and so I wanted to get him a barbecue right away. And so uh, my mom and my dad were going to leave to take grandma back to uh, uh, the home that she, she lives in. And I said, could you go in the regular car and leave the truck? And if I have the truck, I can go get the, the barbecue. And she says, no, actually, dad's not going. He's going to stay here and fiddle around with some things. We've got to come up with a plan. She goes, how about this? How about instead you come with me in the truck to take grandma home? You just tell dad that you know, you wanted to see grandma's place where she stayed. So, you know, we're coming up with this whole plan. And my grandma's just listened to this story. She goes, that way, you know, this all works out well and you can go get the barbecue afterwards. And so my grandma says the most amazing thing at this moment. She goes, once in a while, I'm good for something. <laughs> She's sitting here listening to the story and she thought, okay, I can be the excuse for you to go get this barbecue. And the reason it struck me was this, because she's uh, nine years now been a widow. And I remember when grandpa died. And I remember she came to me at the funeral and she said, there ought to be a rule that once one goes, the other has to as well. I remember she said that because it's just hard. And it's been nine hard years for her. And a lot of times she is quiet and I wonder what's going on in her mind. I wonder the thoughts that she's having and how is she getting day by day, getting by, what's, what's keeping her going you know, they have their little lives, uh, things that they've, she got a pet, you know, and her puzzles. But in this moment, right, there was something, she's, I am part of something again, right? And, uh, <laughs> and there was just this joy. And it just made me think about Christians in life today, and not even just Christians. It's difficult for people in general to have any kind of lasting joy, right? I mean, just see it. Uh, they have all kinds of pursuits, but to have actual joy is a difficult uh, thing, and it's sadly true uh, of a lot of Christians as well. Um, but that is not meant to be the case. Uh, Jesus said this in John fifteen eleven. These words will be very familiar to you. These things I've spoken to you, that my joy may remain in you, and that your joy may be full. 
Now, you can go back and read John 1 through 15 if you want to catch up on all of that. It's mostly the 14, 15 chapters that he's referring to, what he's speaking to his disciples. But, but Jesus says something pretty amazing there, doesn't he? My joy will be in you, and that joy will be a, a, a lasting, abiding, overflowing joy. Yet, uh, how often do we see that in the life of a believer? It's only something that's promised to believers. It's only something that can be had by believers. Uh, uh, it's, it's nowhere promised to uh, anyone else. People can have uh, joys in their life, but they will not be lasting. They will not be overflowing. They will not be always abiding joys. But the, the Christian is promised that kind of joy. David understood that joy, right? I mean, he sang about it. He wrote about it. He said, in your presence is fullness of joy. He understood that there was only one place this joy uh, could be found, only one source. And Paul, uh, which is an interesting guy to even write this to begin with, is writing the book of Philippians uh, sort of as a, a missionary thank you letter. He is in Rome. It's about A.D. 62, he is a, a prisoner. He's sending this letter to the Christian church in Philippi, a church that he founded during his second missionary journey in Acts 16. And Epaphroditus, a member of the Philippian church, has just come to Paul. He has delivered a sort of a gift, a special offering that the church had put together to, to minister to his needs. Uh, and so Paul's letter is sort of thanking the church for Epaphroditus, for the gift. But in this letter, there's much more than that. There's a, a few thank yous, and you would just, you know, Paul, hey, thanks so much for that. Really appreciate it. Came at a great time. Blessings. But no, we have four chapters Paul writes to the church in Philippi. And what does he fill this time with? Well, in it, he shares the secret of Christian joy. Jesus said it, and Paul expounds upon that. And when you read the book of Philippians, and most is, this is not a secret to most people, you can see the theme of joy. He mentions joy or rejoicing or gladness 19 times in this letter. It's just constantly popping up. But here's the thing that's striking to me. Why, why does it seem like Paul, of all the people, is the most unlikely person to write a letter about joy? Because it appears he doesn't really have a reason to be joyful, Right? You, you guys know this verse. You're familiar with it, 2 Corinthians 11. He lists many reasons that he would have uh, not to be joyful. Are they ministers of Christ? I speak as a fool. I am more. In labors, more abundant. In stripes, above measure. In prisons, more frequently. In deaths, often. From the Jews, five times I received 40 stripes minus one. Three times I was beaten with rods. Once I was stoned. Three times I was shipwrecked. A night and a day I've been in the deep. In journeys often, in perils of waters, in perils of robbers, in perils of my own countrymen, in perils of the Gentiles, in perils in the city, in perils in the wilderness, in perils in the sea, in perils among false brethren, in weariness and toil, in sleeplessness often, in hunger and thirst, in fastings often, in cold and nakedness. That's a long list. I could just pick one of those and go, oh, that would be enough to take my joy away right there. And you can just go and look at this and sort of dismiss it and say, well, it's just Paul. No, no. It's not just Paul. Or he, oh, well, he, he kind of just like forgot those things. He didn't forget them. He's counted them. Five times this happened to me. I was beaten. Three times this happened to me. I mean, they're not gone from his mind. 
They're very much real. They're very much there. Oh, yeah, he has checked these things off. Oh, that's five times now. Really starting to get irritated probably at this point. In addition to that, Paul's current circumstances in which he writes this letter are this. He is in Rome. He is a prisoner of Rome, probably shackled as he writes this to a Roman guard in his own house. And the believers in the area are divided about him. They haven't really quite made up their mind about him. And some Christians are making a point to make his life even more difficult. Increase the hardship of his circumstances. Put, your, put yourself in that place. Yet in spite of that danger and discomfort and all the things that are happening, Paul is overflowing with joy. So what is the secret? Well, it's found in another word, and that's what we're going to look at today. It's found in another word other than joy that Paul uses over and over and over again in this passage. And the word is mind. Mind. In the Greek, it's phroneo. I'm going to give you some examples of the word mind in your Bibles, at least in the um, New King James Version. Uh, That is not phroneo, because mind is all through this passage. In chapter 1, if you're in chapter 1, verse 27, mind is used. Only let your conduct be worthy of the gospel of Christ, so that whether I come and see you or am absent, I may hear of your affairs, that you stand fast in one spirit with one mind. Do you see that? That word mind is psyche, just means soul. Paul's talking about um, unity, right? We're one in spirit, we're one in soul. That's not the word mind, phroneo that I'm talking about. I'm also not talking about chapter 2, verse 3, a very familiar use of mind. Let nothing be done through selfish ambition or conceit, but in lowliness of mind. In fact, many translations just take that word mind out and translate it as humility, because that's the word, tap and no for sign. Sure. Which means have to have a humble opinion of oneself. All right? Humility. That's not the word phroneo. Or Is it uh, chapter 2, verse 20? For I have no one like-minded. That is, isopsychos, which is equal in soul. But the other times that you will see mind, or sometimes translated a different word, it is the word phroneo. And phroneo means this, to set one's mind upon a thing. Setting your mind on something. It's a mind set. The Christian joy, the secret to it, is found in the way the believer thinks, thinks about the circumstances that are happening. It's his attitude. Outlook determines outcome. Proverbs 23, 7 says, for as he thinks in his heart, so is he. So this book explains the mind the believer must have if he's going to experience Christian joy in a world filled with trouble and heartache, and hardship. The theme of the book is this. We must cultivate the right kind of mind. If outlook determines outcome, then the attitude of the mind that we cultivate is going to determine our joy or our lack of it. Now, in Philippians, Paul is going to describe sort of four attitudes of the mind, and I'm going to go through those with you, and we're going to start in chapter 1. All right, so let's walk through this together. Chapter 1, beginning in verse 3. I thank my God upon every remembrance of you, always in every prayer of mine, making request for you all with joy. There's the first use of the joy word. For your fellowship in the gospel from the first day until now, being confident of this very thing that he who has begun a good work in you will complete it until the day of Jesus Christ. Just as it is right for me to think this of you all because I have you in my heart. 
inasmuch as both in my chains and in the defense and confirmation of the gospel, you all are partakers with me of grace. The first use of this word mind is actually uh, in our version here, uh, translated think, and it's in verse 7. Just as it is right for me to think, phroneo, this of you all. It's right for me to have this mindset of you all. ESV says to feel this way about you all. Yes, you feel this way about you because the mindset Paul has about them, right? He feels a certain way about them and he feels a certain way about them because of this thing he calls the fellowship in the gospel. Did you see it there in verse five? It's the fellowship in the gospel. I have, I am remembering you with joy because of the fellowship in the gospel. What, what's the fellowship in the gospel? Well, fellowship is koinonia. It's having something in common with someone else. And what is the thing that Paul has in common with the believers? Philippi, Jesus Christ, right? The very fact that they both have come to faith in Christ, they have this fellowship in the gospel. I have fellowship with you in the gospel because I place my faith and trust in Jesus Christ who died on the cross for my sins, was buried, rose again, right? Because I did that, Paul says that we are individually members of one another. I have been ushered into this membership called the body of Christ. We're members of one another. It's the household of God. We're children of God. And it is that fellowship that we have that is one key thing that's going to lead Paul to this certain kind of mindset. Now, keep in mind, he is um, in prison. And he says, one source of joy for me is that I think about you and I think that the fellowship um, that I have with you, this koinonia. But he goes on. Look what he says here in verse 12. But I want you to know, brethren, that things which happened to me have actually turned out for the furtherance of the gospel. He talked about the fellowship of the gospel, and now he talks about the furtherance of the gospel. Well, what are the things that happened to me? He said the things that happened to me, just kind of glossed over that. Well, we don't have time to read all of Acts 21 through 28 today, um, but I can recap really quickly, right? Paul is arrested in uh, the Jerusalem temple. I think you guys were just around that area. Uh, he's accused of desecrating it with the Gentiles because he brought a Gentile in there. Um, he's accused of being an Egyptian renegade who started rebellion. Um, and so he avoids an assassination attempt. He's taken to Caesarea where he remains a prisoner for two years. He appeals to Caesar. He gets on a ship bound for, uh, bound for Rome, but he shipwrecks in Malta. He's there for three months. And then he finally gets to Rome where he's promptly arrested. These things which happened to me, that's what he's saying. I want you to know the things which happened to me, which circumstantially aren't good, right? Let's agree. Bad things have actually furthered the gospel. How have they furthered the gospel? Look at verse 13. So that it has become evident to the whole palace guard and to all the rest that my chains are in Christ. And most of the brethren in the Lord, having become confident by my chains, are much more bold to speak the word without fear. Paul says this is further the gospel because it has given me access to an audience I wouldn't uh, have an audience uh, access to otherwise, right? In fact, Something pretty amazing happens because of that. I'm going to spoil it for you if you turn to Philippians chapter 4. Turn to Philippians chapter 4 and look at verse 22 as Paul is sending his greetings at the end. All the saints greet you, but especially those who are of Caesar's household. See, those palace guards 
didn't just hear the gospel. They didn't just see that Paul's chains were because of the gospel. They believed the gospel. And Paul is looking at it from that perspective. He's like, amazing. I would never have planned this, but God has used these circumstances, these things which happened to me, which stink, (laughs) to further the gospel. So source of joy one, the fellowship of the gospel. I I have friends, believers, no matter where I am. That fellowship isn't broken. But I also, I see that God is furthering the gospel through the circumstances. So fellowship isn't broken because of circumstances. Circumstances further the gospel. And then he talks about one more thing called the faith of the gospel. And that's in verse 27. Only let your conduct be worthy of the gospel of Christ, so that whether I come and see you or I am absent, I may hear of your affairs that you stand fast in one spirit, with one mind, striving together, for the faith of the gospel. What is this faith of the gospel? It is the divine body of truth that has been given to the church. That is the faith of the gospel. This is something that has been entrusted to uh, all believers. And Paul is telling this church that they should be um, in um, standing fast in one spirit, in one soul, right? The psyche there striving together, working together, fighting for the body of truth, the faith of the gospel. Uh, Jude writes it this way. Jude 1.3 says, Beloved, while I was very diligent to write to you concerning our common salvation, I found it necessary to write to you exhorting you to contend earnestly for the faith which was once for all delivered to the saints. What faith was delivered to the saints? We're talking about doctrinal truth. We're talking about God's word was given to us. And Paul says that God committed that spiritual treasure even uh, to him. In 1 Timothy 1.11, according to the glorious gospel of the blessed God, which was committed to my trust, right? That's been given to me. And then Paul, in turn, commits it to others. He writes to Timothy in 1 Timothy 6.20, Oh, Timothy, guard what was committed to your trust, avoiding profane and idle babblings and contradictions, which is falsely called knowledge. And then Paul instructs others to do the same in 2 Timothy 2.2. And the things you've heard from me among many witnesses, commit these to faithful men who will be able to teach others also, right? You keep entrusting this divine body of truth to others who will be faithful to guard it, to preach it. That is what Paul is talking about. And here's the warning he gives in 1 Timothy 4.1. The Spirit expressly says that in latter times, some will depart from the faith, giving heed to deceiving spirits and doctrines of demons. How do they depart from the faith? They're listening to another doctrine. So the gospel of the the faith is the doctrine of truth that we must guard that has been entrusted uh, to us. Uh, Another interesting thing that Paul says in that verse, by the way, is that he ties it into conduct. Did you see that? Only let your conduct be worthy of the gospel of Christ. What does conduct uh, have to do with it? It seems seems like such a a weird word. Well, that word conduct is actually uh, polytuomai, and it means to behave as a citizen. Citizen of what? Well, Paul's going to talk about that in chapter 3, verse 20. He's going to say, for our citizenship is in heaven. So he's calling us to behave um, yeah, in a certain way that lines up with this, um, this faith of the gospel. We don't behave in a, in a certain way in order to get to heaven because we're not saved by works, right? But we, we, we behave a certain way because our names are already written in heaven. 
and, and we are citizens of heaven. I remember hearing about a couple that came to a pastor wanting some uh, literature to hand to their um, unbelieving neighbors. So the pastor simply opened his Bible to 2 Corinthians 3, 2, and he read this, you are our epistle written in our hearts, known and read by all men. He said, I got some literature. Let them read you. You're the literature. You go be the literature. The greatest weapon here uh, against the, the devil and his attack against the faith of the gospel, it's a godly life. The church citizens of heaven are to behave what they believe. And that's what he call, we're called to do. And Paul, if you take all these three things together, the fellowship of the gospel, the furtherance of the gospel, the faith of the gospel, bring him to be able to say one of the most amazing things. And it's in chapter one, verse 21. For to me, to live is Christ and to die is gain. All those things are surrounded around the gospel, the gospel of the cross of Christ. So for Paul, to live is the gospel of Christ. That is it. He has a single focused mind. Um, and that is the mindset he begins with here to get our minds in the right place. Our minds sometimes are all over the place. And the gospel is usually the furthest thing we're thinking about. We're saved by the gospel. And then uh, a lot of times that's kind of as far as it goes. But you see how the gospel is still fully at work in the life of Paul? No, no, no. I have fellowship because of the gospel. God continues to further the spread of the gospel because of what he does and how he acts and what he orchestrates. And I have a duty to protect the faith of the gospel and to preach it and to teach it and to commit it to other people who would be faithful to do the same. That is the single focused, single purposed mind of Paul in chapter one. Chapter two, he moves to a different mind. It's a humble mind. It's a, a submissive mind. And you see that here uh, famously in verse three, <clears throat> let nothing be done through selfish ambition or conceit, but in lowliness of mind, let each esteem others better than himself. Now, I already told you that that word uh, is not the word for mind. That is the word for humility. But the word mind phroneo is used in verse five. Let this mind be in you which was also in Christ Jesus. Well, what mind? Well, the humble mind that he just talked about, right? So the mindset the believer should have is a humble mind, a submissive uh, mind. Um, it's, it's, it's not a self-seeking mind. And I got to just be honest for a second. We, uh, a lot of our activities in life, a lot of entertainment in life, a lot of the things we do in life are geared around uh, self-seeking, and selfish ambition, and we are called to not pursue those things. Um, we're, we're called to have and adopt a submissive mind, uh, putting other people first, a humble a mind. And even good, well-meaning things, certain sports and things like that, you know, it's good to be competitive and, and whatnot, but, but we then err on, a lot of times, uh, this sort of um, self-seeking attitude, uh, getting the glory, and James chapter three, he speaks of this. If you have bitter envy and self-seeking in your hearts, do not boast and lie against the truth. This wisdom does not descend from above, but is earthly and sensual demonic. For where envy and self-seeking exist, confusion and every evil thing are. Paul doesn't just say, yeah, be humble, but he tells us what humility is not. Let nothing be done through selfish 
ambition. I gotta be honest, I think a lot of what we do is selfish ambition. A lot of it. Or conceit, he says, which is vainglory, empty uh, pride. But Paul says in 2 Corinthians 5, we do not preach ourselves, but Christ Jesus the Lord and ourselves, your bond servants for Jesus' sake. Are those the kind of mindsets that we're cultivating in ourselves, in the hearts of our children? Is that what we're doing? That is what we're supposed to be um, trying to uh, pursue. But he also tells us the, the, the other direction you can go the wrong way, right? It, don't do things through selfish ambition or conceit, but in lowliness of mind, in a, in, in a humble state of mind, let each esteem others better than himself. He also says that it's not a low self-worth. He's not saying, no, you're just garbage, right? Don't, don't consider yourself uh, at all. It's having a humble opinion of oneself. Uh, Paul says it in Romans 12, 3 this way, I say through the grace given to me, to everyone who's among you, not to think of himself more highly than he ought to think, but to think how? Soberly, as God has dealt to each one a measure of faith. You do think of yourself. You do uh, do what you need to do, you, but you do it soberly. Think of yourself in that way. But also it's not neglecting yourself, right? It doesn't mean you don't, take care of yourself. You don't, you know, do anything. Uh, people have gone that far because we are to think of ourselves. We are to consider um, ourselves, but also to look out not only for our own interests, but also for the interests of others. And so Paul just breaks that down in a way that's very easy to understand. But then if we can't quite grasp what he's, underst- what he's saying there, he says, well, let me make it really, really obvious for you and look at this example. And who is the example he chooses? Jesus. <laughs> Let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus, verse 5. And here are some of the most amazing words in all of Scripture. Who, being in the form of God, did not consider it robbery to be equal with God. He didn't think of himself in this state. He was thinking of others, wasn't he? Verse 7, but made himself of no reputation, taking the form of a bond servant and coming in the likeness of men. There he serves. Verse 8, and being found in the appearance as a man, he humbled himself and became obedient to the point of death, even the death of the cross. He sacrifices. Hmm. At the name of every, sorry, verse 5, therefore God has, has highly exalted him and given him the name which is above every name, that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow, of those in heaven and those on earth and of those under the earth, and that every tongue should confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. See, those things, sort of thinking of others, having a humble opinion of oneself, and going with the mindset of serving and sacrificing actually brings glory to God. The result is glory to God. Isn't that what believers are supposed to be about? Right? Our lives are supposed to be about giving glory to God. Paul has that mindset. He doesn't care about these other things. He's thinking, whatever gets glory to God. Jesus had that mindset in John 17, 1. He said this, Jesus spoke these words, Father, the hour has come, glorify your son. Why? That your son also may glorify you. Yeah. The person with a submissive mind in living for others must expect these things, sacrifice and expect to serve. But in the end, it's going to lead to God's glory. And if God's glory is not, then your ultimate desire, service and sacrifice are going to be a burden. 
Service and sacrifice are going to be things you're not interested in at all, but they're part and parcel to God receiving glory. If you're going to cultivate a, a, a submissive and humble mind, that's chapter two. Chapter three, he gives us another mind here uh, to, to consider. And chapter three is very interesting because he begins to talk about values. Now, there are some people in here who did our parenting class, a few of them that we did before. We'll, we'll be doing it again. But there is a, a session, and maybe you recall, that we spend a good deal of time talking about values. You might remember that, values. What is a value? Well, it is a principle, or it's a standard of behavior. It's, it's, it's one, one's judgment of what is important in life. And the, the interesting thing about a value is that we often don't know where we got them from, <laughs> And they're not easily changed. It's very difficult to change someone's values. And Paul begins to lay out here in chapter 3 the things he valued. And as you read them, they're, uh, they're, they're commendable things. They're good things. And the important thing about values is that if, you are, if you're basing um, your life on a pr- certain set of principles, and they're called values, then those, those things are going to guide your dreams. That allows you to have goals. That sets priorities, and that affects everyday decisions. Do you see that? So you have to track it back to what I really value. And that's why we go at, through that with parenting. Is the end goal this, or is the end goal this? What is the end goal? Then what do, what do I really value, and what is it you're communicating that you really value? And Paul does this little lesson on, <laughs> on values. And look at this in, um, in verse 4. He's talking about sort of not having confidence in the flesh. And then verse four, he says this, though I also might have confidence in the flesh, if anyone else thinks he may have confidence in the flesh, I more so. Circumcised the eighth day of the stock of Israel, of the tribe of Benjamin, a Hebrew of the Hebrews, concerning the law, a Pharisee, concerning zeal, persecuting the church, concerning the righteousness, which is in the law, blameless. But what things were gained to me these I have counted lost for Christ. These are the things I, I valued, and they're commendable things. He valued a righteous life. He uh, valued being obedient to the law. He, he was fighting for the religion of his fathers, right? They were commendable things. But then his values changed, and you have to ask the question, how can someone's values change just like that? Well, he gives us the answer. Jesus. What caused the change? Jesus. Many of you know I came from an acting background, right? I was pursuing uh, that in Hollywood and New York stage, and that was my life. And, and if you knew me in that time, uh, in, you know, my life was wrapped around that. It would, it would not be hard for you in a quick discussion to find out what I really valued. I could tell you anything about actors. I could tell you about the Academy Awards they won. I could tell you about anything. In fact, the Academy Awards were my, well, Super Bowl. I don't know if you know NFL Super Bowl, but you guys have your own pick a, pick a thing, World Cup right? Those were, that, was, that was me. But when Jesus got hold of my life, that went away. And I cannot tell you how many times, even right away and through my life, people have asked me this question. Well, gosh, but don't you miss that? <laughs> Believers, no. <laughs> Jesus got hold of me. I counted them lost for Christ. But you see what the question is saying. The question is, yeah, but those are pretty valuable. No, no. They're not compared to Christ. They have maybe this, an interest or whatever, but they're, you see what I'm saying? It's the value has changed. 
And no one is going to Paul and say, oh, Papa, don't, don't you miss that? <laughs> he would say, no, right? Absolutely not. I count them a loss for Christ. His value has completely uh, changed. And he's talking about here a works righteousness um, thing. And he realized there that those things didn't make him acceptable to God, right? He had enough uh, morality not to get in trouble, but not enough righteousness to get into heaven. And that's what he realized he needed. And this is why I love it. He says this in verse 12. Look at this. Not that I have already attained or I'm already perfected, but I press on that I may lay hold of that for which Christ Jesus has also laid hold of me. Brethren, I do not count myself to have apprehended, but one thing I do, forgetting those things which are behind and reaching forward to those things which are ahead, I press toward the goal for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. I would, I would underline that one thing phrase he uses in verse 13. One thing. One thing is an important phrase in the Christian life, I think. Um, one thing you lack, Jesus said to that self-righteous young ruler, right? One thing is needed, he said to Martha as she complained about her sister. But then there's the man who received his sight by the hands of Jesus and said, one thing I know. I was blind, but now I see. One thing I know. Paul, uh, uh, David said this in Psalm 27, 4, one thing I've desired of the Lord that, I, that will I seek, that I may dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of my life to behold the beauty of the Lord and to acquire in his temple. One thing, one thing I've desired. Christians today are involved and distracted by too many things. I'll tell you, a lot of the counseling that I've had to do um, on both continents has resol- revolved around people being run off course by the many things because they've forgotten the one thing. And it's usually a pretty simple thing, right? It's all these things. There's just things, 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 things everywhere. Um, But there's not the one thing. The one thing is not the overriding thing. It's a value thing. Well, what are you valuing more? If this is what you value more, then that should be the overriding thing. But many times they're they're, they're just shackled by all these other things. And not just that, but, you know, Paul says to, to run ahead and to not look back. Some people are shackled by their past, their failures or successes. You know, trying to run a race looking backward. Not going to happen. Can't happen. We're supposed to have uh, a mind that is absolutely established on where our citizenship really is. And he says that, he says it here at the end of this uh, chapter. Look at verse, um, um, well, look at verse, actually, I want to show you where the words mind come up. Look at verse 15. The word mind, phroneo, is all through here. Let us, as many as are mature, have this mind. And if in anything you think otherwise, God will reveal even this to you. Nevertheless, to the degree that we've already attained, let us walk by the same rule. Let us be of the same mind. So, we have got to have this mind, those who are mature. But if you don't, if you have a different kind of mindset, God will show that to you, he says. That's encouraging, isn't it? Right? But let's be of the same mindset. He's encouraging everyone to have this kind of mindset. And then he tells us um, what we're to do. Look at this. Brethren, verse 17, join in following my example and note those who so walk as you have us for a pattern. All right? So we are to imitate 
people who are citizens of heaven. If you're unsure, like how do I know what the value is? How do I know where to get my priorities straight? Do you see someone who's further down the spiritual road than you? Follow them. (laughs) That's what he says, right? Join in following my example and note those who so walk. You have us as a pattern. We're not lost. We're not wandering around. This is one of the reasons we need the church, right? We're all at different degrees. We're all at different places, aren't we, right? And so you look for uh, someone who's a little further down the road than you, and you pursue them. Paul says, imitate me as I imitate Christ. We're taught, taught to be imitators of God as dearly loved children. And that's what we're supposed to do. We're supposed to be following those, uh, those people, asking for guidance and encouragement along the way. We're supposed to be imitating heaven's citizens. But look what he says this. Many walk of whom I have often told you, this is verse 18, and now tell you even weeping that they are the enemies of the cross of Christ. So you have some people we end up following instead that are not the pattern, right? But they're, they're actually an enemy. What do they value? What are their pursuits? What are their goals? Hey, maybe you have some things in common, but do, they, do you have in common uh, with them the gospel? Are they making you uh, uh, act Uh, more like Jesus or are they enemy of the cross, right? We have to be not only imitating heaven's citizens, but uh, loyal to heaven's cause. They're enemies of the cross. I want to be loyal to the cross. That's my goal. In heaven, they're going to be singing about the cross. Worthy is a lamb who was slain, right? We want to be part of that. But then look at this, verse 19, whose end is destruction, whose God is their belly, whose glory is in their shame, who set their mind, phroneo, on earthly things. Their hearts are not on heavenly things. When you look at it, when you spread it out, it's all done on earthly things. Where should our mind be? Verse 20, our citizenship is in heaven, from which we also eagerly await for the Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ. I don't know if you've ever noticed this. Paul has a habit of, of doing this, and I, I just wish I could hear the way he would say this if he were writing it, because I imagine it sort of being like, uh, you're not catching this, right? If, you're, if your mind is not supposed to be on earthly things, um, you, you, it should be on heavenly things where, where Jesus is, because we're waiting for him, right? We're waiting for Jesus, but right now he's in heaven where, where he is. He says it better in in, in Colossians chapter 3. If then you were raised with Christ, seek the things that are above where Christ is, right? He's he's there. Seek the things that are are above. Seated at the right hand of God. Set your mind, phroneo, not on things on earth. Why? For you died. You're died. You're dead. Done. Your life is hidden with Christ and God. That's why, right? Right? So it's a spiritual mindset there. Not only do we cultivate sort of a a singular uh, gospel-focused mind, chapter one, a submissive mind that we might be able to be molded by our creator as he moves us along, uh, but here a, a spiritual mindset. We're looking toward that. Jesus is going to return. I want to look like him. That's the direction we're going. And chapter four, chapter four is going to help us to have a secure mind in this difficult world. And he famously says this um, in verse, verses six and seven, be anxious for nothing. You've heard this, right? But in everything by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God and the peace of God, 
which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and minds through Christ Jesus. Now, I want to point something out, um, that that word uh, for mind is not the word phroneo. It is noema, but it simply means thoughts or purposes. So he will guard your hearts and your purposes or your thoughts through uh, Christ Jesus. And what he's talking about here is is, uh, worry. Um, Worry. It's wrong feeling and wrong thinking, isn't it? And worry can have a terrible effect on the body, right? (laughs) Worry can physically uh, actually hurt you. There's a lot of negative effects to uh, worry. Back in 1988, there was a a famous song released by Bobby McFerrin, Don't Worry, Be Happy. I don't know if if you've listened to that tune any time recently, right? But he says, you know, when this happens, this bad thing happens, uh, don't worry, be happy. Okay. (laughs) And then he goes, oh, uh, but then when this happens, this happens, and don't worry, yeah, 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 be happy. Okay. And and then this happens, and you all this money and whatever, oh, don't worry. Okay, what is it? Be happy. It's, It's the irritating song. He doesn't explain anything. He just says, yeah, all this stuff's going to happen. Hey, don't worry, man. Be happy. (laughs) Thanks for nothing. But Paul is kind of doing the same thing here. He says, hey, hey, don't don't worry. Pray about it. Pray about it. Boy, we'd love to get that one, right? Oh, what should I do? Pray about it. Pray about it. Have been praying. Have you been praying? Well, he tells us how to pray here, right? Be anxious for nothing. Don't worry about anything, but in everything, by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to uh, God. With thanksgiving. I've been trying to push that along a little bit as we do praying together corporately. Hey, is there anything we can share that is, is thanksgiving? We're really good at coming together and, 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 and giving, hey, you know, my toe hurts and this happens and those things. And, and we, should be, don't we, we should be praying for those. Don't stop doing that. But what I'm saying, how often do we actually take time to look at what God has done and say, oh, I'm, I'm thankful. I'm thankful for this. Paul has done that in chapter one. All these things that happened to me, I'm thankful for it because they furthered the gospel. You guys might remember Daniel, right? Daniel Lions Den, Daniel. Daniel chapter 6, right? They're going to sign this decree that he's not going to be able to pray anymore, but unless we're going to pray to this giant statue and all this stuff. And this is what it says about Daniel. Now, when Daniel knew that the writing was signed, he went home. And in his upper room, with his windows open toward Jerusalem, he knelt down on his knees three times that day and prayed and gave thanks before his God, as was his custom since early days. Now, I'm sure that in the prayer, he was like, oh, Lord, you know, can you take this thing away, this signing document thing? This is persecution. This is, you know, I'm, I'm sure that happened. But that's not the info we're given. What the writer specifically makes sure that we see and we understand is that he what? He gave thanks before God. He didn't gripe. He didn't moan. He didn't complain. He gave thanks to God. And I think that's the key thing Paul is wanting us to see. Don't, don't be anxious for anything, but, but pray and, and with supplication, which is the asking, of course you do those things, but do it all with what? Thanksgiving. 
Do it with thanksgiving, not in a griping way. Oh, I just can't believe this has happened again. Lord, can you do something about that? I, I, I'm sure he hears that. I don't know how pleasing it is to him. He wants it with thanksgiving. It shows and it reveals a mind that really isn't absolutely secure in what God is doing. I might have shared this years ago. I don't recall, but there was a book I had read, um, and it was a, it was a sort of like a parenting book. And a, a father is is looking outside, and it was raining outside, so it must have been in Wales. And he, <laughs> I don't know. And he had these golf plans that day, right? He had his clubs, he had everything to go. He's going to meet his buddies, and it's just pouring. Okay, it had to be had to be Wales, and it's pouring outside. And he's sitting here, and he's muttering under his breath, and he finally out loud says, stupid rain, stupid rain. And he looks down, and here's his little boy sitting next to him, had crept up behind him. He didn't even know it. And his son says to him, Dad, why is the rain stupid? Doesn't God make the rain? <laughs> Shut up. <laughs> <laughs> you see the point, though. The mindset was, oh, my plans have been ruined. The plans that I set for myself are gone. Uh, Lord, I am not happy with the decision you have made to send rain on my plans. In fact, I want to bemoan that to you right now. I'm going to tell you that that is not okay with me, all right? That's the attitude we take a lot of times. And Paul is saying that's not the attitude. That's why you're anxious. But if you're not anxious, if you're fully secure in what God is doing, then be thankful. That's how Paul is able to maintain this thankfulness. It's not just the right praying, but it's also right thinking. Look at what he tells us to think about instead in verse 8. Finally, brethren, whatever things are true, whatever things are noble, whatever things are just and pure and lovely and of good report, if there's any virtue, if there's anything praiseworthy, meditate on those things. The problem is we look through this, ah, it's not much to praise, not much praiseworthy going on. If that's the case, then we probably need to reevaluate what we're looking at. There's a lot of things out there telling us how we should act and how we should react. But those things are not true. We need to filter those out and go, no, 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 I'm not going to let that in. I need to focus on what is true, what is right. Those are the things. It's right praying and right thinking. We must bring into captivity every thought to the obedience of Christ. That's the kind of mindset we're supposed to, supposed to have. You're all familiar with the difficulties of recent. We have all these deaths over the new year, right? And yet you, you, you consider someone like uh, Angela. And don't worry, I told her I shared about her uh, in the States a couple of weekends ago. And I, I shared her story because they don't know. But the last time I had been there, the last thing I had done, I had done a sermon. I had a video of Pastor Glenn. And at Pastor Glenn, I secretly did it, so it's probably illegal somehow. But I had my phone on, and he was answering a question. It was just brilliant Glenn, you know? And, um, but it was hard to hear, so I actually had to have, like, subtitles under it. But you could see what he was saying. And the point of showing it was, look, everything that comes out of Glenn's mouth is gospel. Everything. No matter what you're talking about, all of a sudden you're talking about the gospel. Like, well, I thought I was talking about sheep. What happened? Right? He just, he brings it back to the gospel. And so the people knew Glenn. They knew Angela. You know, they knew that. I said, hey, listen, I got to give you sad news. You know, Glenn had died, but I had to share the whole news. You know, Stan, and this is such a, a difficult a difficult thing. 
But what I shared about was what Angela has been free to share about, and that was this, that she was in the mindset of, you know, uh, of grasping for things here at first, right? When Stan died, it was, well, uh, Glenn, you know, Dad, it's just going to be you and me. It's just going to be you and me. And, and Glenn, even in that frail state, in the hospital, last words he said to her, pulled her in and said, no, no, Angela, it's you and Jesus. You need to focus on Christ. Where does that come from? Right? And she will tell you, she'll still speak those words of truth. It's me and Jesus, it's me and him. I have to trust in the Lord. I have to trust in the Lord. Right? She needed truth and not lie. Oh, look for another person to lean on to. We want to a, a lot of times, and, and we need fellowship and we need people, but we need God above all. And he was saying, listen, at this time in your life, you need him. And I'll tell you, that ministered to someone sitting in the church that day. Someone came up and said, hey, you'll never believe this, but I, a friend came. They were sitting next to me. They lost two people that week. And she just looked at me with tears in her eyes and said, that was just for me today. So the things that happened to me, Angela, further the gospel, right? It's that kind of mindset. And does she have hard days? Will you have hard days? Yes. Will you have days where you're just wanting to weep? Yes. It's hard. It's difficult. But, but, how do we think about those circumstances? The things that come our way are going to be uh, difficult. Um, But we've got to make sure we're focusing on truth amidst it. And that we're looking for God's purposes uh, in it all. It's, a, it's quite a thing to, to, to learn a truth, that's, that's for, for sure, but it's a whole other thing to receive it inwardly. And so we might know these things outwardly, but we've got to adopt these things uh, inwardly. Facts in the head aren't enough. There has to be truth in the heart. I'm going to close with verse 19. I just want to share this with you here, and this really kind of rounds up what Paul's saying. And my God shall supply all your need according to his riches, in glory by Christ Jesus. Everything that you need, whatever it is you're going through, God will supply it, not through the things here, but through his riches in glory by Christ Jesus. Hudson Taylor said it this way, when God's work is done in God's way for God's glory, it will not lack for God's supply. So be encouraged today. Let me pray. God, thank you for Paul. Thank you for this, his word uh, to the church in Philippi in a time that was no doubt difficult. Lord, in a letter that could have been fairly shallow and insignificant, he takes a moment to share with them that his, while he's thankful for the gift, his burdens are not um, beyond what he can bear because his perspective is, uh, is different. He's cultivated a mind that's fully fixed, singularly focused on the gospel of the cross of Christ. He submitted to his will in every way and humbly serves others in every way. Has a spiritual mindset focused on the fact that he is a citizen of heaven and his mind is secure. That no matter what happens, you're in control because he's seeking your glory. Ah, what a, what a testimony and what a challenge to us today. Lord, there's any number of things that happen in any day, even, even today as we leave this place, I, something will happen that will cause anxiety in our hearts. 
we might return our minds to focus on the things that trouble us, the things that cause us pain. And while those things don't go away, they're, they're real, they're there, Paul didn't forget them, but he thinks about them differently. His mind is set on you. So I pray for your people today, and myself included, Lord, that my mind would be fully fixed on you, that I would look at the circumstances of this day, even as, as uh, we, we leave this place and, and the circumstances begin to, to happen to your people. Would you, uh, would you wrap them up in truth today? Would you keep their minds uh, focused on you, that they would have a different mindset? That people uh, passing by or our children or whoever is in proximity would, would notice the way in which we react to those things and be, uh, just be astounded that we don't react to the things of the world by the way of the world, but by the way of heaven. Be glorified in us today. We seek your glory. We love you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. Let's sing another song.
Well, that's a great song to end on. Amen. Victory in Jesus. Well, let me just close with this. Now to him who is able to keep you from stumbling, to present you faultless before the presence of his glory with exceeding joy. To God, our Savior, who alone is wise, be glory and majesty, dominion and power, both now and forevermore. Amen. 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 All right. Join us for some tea and coffee. We'll see you out there.